0: He's big and strong, he's sad and mad, and a little bit funny. You are listening to The Crash Program. Welcome to Season 2 of The Crash Program. I'm your host, Crash Berry. Season 2, a.k.a. Tough Island, is where I tell stories about living on Maine's most remote inhabited island. The Crash program is commercial-free, thanks to listener support via Patreon, where five bucks a month gets you all sorts of perks, including a limited edition Mary Margaret sticker and access to a Patreon-only audio collection of stories from my time in the U.S. Coast Guard fighting the war on drugs and the war on Haitian refugees. Plus, after six months, you'll receive a signed copy of my novel Sex, Drugs, and Blueberries or the print version of Tough Island. Ten bucks monthly gets you the stuff I just mentioned, plus an invite to a really fun annual meetup in Maine. Visit CrashBerry.com for all the details. Now, on to the program. Chapter One My name is CrashBerry. And for two years, when I was a much younger man, I lived on Matinicus, Maine's most remote inhabited island, twenty miles offshore, located in the center of the richest lobster grounds in the world in the outer banks of Penobscot Bay. Despite its remoteness, Matinicus was a microcosm of modern American society, ruled by gossip and slander, rife with substance abuse, and marital discord over time the archetypes revealed themselves the angel the hero the loner the drunk the cheater the molester the abuser the thief the suicide and the killer through the eyes of some matinicus was an outlaw's paradise where hardened souls could lurk in the shadows far from the watchful police state for other islanders, Matinicus was a protected home port, an idyllic place to raise a family, an outpost where independence was necessary and honored. A world of heavy winds and violent storms, where the fervent sunrises and fiery sunsets painted forests, beaches and ledge with vibrant colors, except when it was foggy which was quite often from June to October. Two years living in a fish shack didn't make me an expert on Matinicus, but it was a long enough immersion to recognize the distinctive nature of the island, to see beyond the myth and the hype, to study a unique society with a wannabe writer's brain filtered through a thick lens of drugs, youth, and hard work. And my time on Matinakis taught me an important lesson. Be careful on Tough Island. It was mid-March, 1991. I just finished a stint as a sailor in the United States Coast Guard. fighting the war on drugs and the war on Haitian refugees. I had no money, no job, no leads. I was a rudderless 23-year-old couch surfer crossing back and forth over the state line between Portsmouth, New Hampshire and Kittery, Maine. Then the message came from a coasty pal's wife, her dad, A lobsterman on Matinicus needed a helper immediately. A stern man, a hired hand, a modern indentured servant paid with 15% of the catch, plus free housing, on an island 20 miles out to sea. I'd been to Matinicus once before, for a weekend the previous fall, to help my coasty pal paint an apartment in a waterfront building owned by his father-in-law, Captain Donald. We had arrived by lobster boat on a foggy night and worked for two foggy days. (laughs) Ate lobster, drank beer, and secretly smoked marijuana. (coughs) Then the weather cleared. And we walked up to the island airport, a dirt runway, and flew via single-engine Cessna. Back to the real world of the U.S. Coast Guard. Now, as a civilian, I felt that a move to a remote island was appealing, especially following my over-regulated life in the military. During my time as a coastie, I traveled to exotic locales where I witnessed the abject poverty, sorrow, and injustice that lived beneath the beauty of the landscape. I needed a new place to ponder what I'd seen and to recover from my time as a hard-drinking, pill-popping, brawling, pot-smoking sailor. Living in my own shack seemed ideal after three years living aboard a ship of 80 men. And as a young wannabe writer, working on a boat was also ideal. So was growing long hair and a bushy beard and smoking smoking, tons tons of ganja ganja. ganja. and ingesting psychedelics and ingesting ingesting psychedelics while composing sad epic epic poetry, poetry secluded on an island I'd be able to hear the tide and absorb the wind. Become tougher, stronger, and a better person. Get in the van and be quick about it. We have more errands to run. And we have to catch a boat. Mary Margaret was Donald's wife. I hope this works out. Otherwise, how will you pay me back for all this gear? We were leaving the parking lot of a commercial fishing store in Portsmouth. She had just bought me three pairs of gloves, a nice suit of Grundin's oil clothes, and a decent pair of boots. About 200 bucks. With no sales tax, because it was New Hampshire. A skinny woman in her mid-sixties, Mary Margaret was 100% gray. Her short hair was gray. Her sunken eyes were gray. Her skin was gray. Clothes or a minivan. All the color of cigarette ash. All the same dismal hue of gray. By the time we crossed the bridge into Maine, Welcome to Maine! I was in hell. Boy, am I glad to get out of New Hampshire. The van's heat wouldn't shut off. The power windows wouldn't roll down. And with a captive audience, Mary Margaret wouldn't stop talking. Never would I imagine that she would dare to think that. Stories exploded out of her with a frenzy. And then she had the nerve to say to me, According to her... The island's 50-person population consisted mostly of thugs. Next thing you know, the old man was dead. Troublemakers. Troublemakers, cheats, liars. Lonely women and stupid men. A bunch of lobstering thieves. About a dozen men were lobstering thieves, she said. The exception was her hero. Captain Donald. My new boss, who could do no wrong. You're not a drunkard, are you? Because there's been lots of shenanigans lately on the island, and we don't need any more drunkards on Matinicus. Mary Margaret turned her head and stared at me as we sped north on Route 95. A bead of crusted gray spittle was caked on both corners of her gray mouth. You're not a drunkard, are you? Uh, no, I guess you'd say I'm a social drinker, I said. But never to excess. Donald doesn't put up with foolishness, so you better behave yourself. I was a smoker, a stoner, a tripper, an occasional snorter of powder, and popper of pills, but not a drunkard. <phone rings> she wiggled her forefinger at me, a gray froth sputtering from her gray lips. On mornings you go out to hall, you better be ready at 5 a.m. For the rest of the two and a half hour trip, she chattered nonstop. I'm not from Metinicus. I'm from East Boston. Donald, apparently, picked her up in an East Boston bar during his tour in the Navy four decades before. Seems like it was just yesterday. She prattled on and on about her life on the island. Between you and me, he's a terror. Terrible... She jumped from topic to topic. Bad neighbors. And his wife, well, she's daft, that's for sure. The high price of everything. The price of everything is going up. The low price of lobster. Except the price of lobster. Occasionally, she paused to breathe. (sighs) Then start again. A real con man, I'd say. Usually by insulting an enemy or Donald's brother's wife. She's a no-good Jezebel, and he can't see it. As we crossed the Rockland town line, Welcome to Rockland! she looked at me and smiled. My daughter says you're Catholic. That's wonderful. So am I, the only one on the island. Uh, well, I was raised Catholic, I said. But these days, uh, not so much. She didn't mention you were lapsed. <sighs> she frowned and scrunched up her gray nose in disdain. Maybe that's why you were sent here so I can get you back to church. Remember, Catholics can always come home. Suddenly, I was worried. Last thing I needed was some Catholic trying to save my soul, which had become solidly atheistic by the eighth grade of Catholic school. Does this have anything to do with me working for Donald? No, he's not Catholic. Doesn't even want to hear the word church. We met up with Captain Donald and his boat, the dotted I, at a dock in the Rockland Coast Guard Station. I didn't bring much because I didn't own much. I had an ounce of seedy marijuana and a carton of Camel filter cigarettes, uh, a, couple a couple tabs of, tabs of, of LSD, LSD, a cardboard box full of books, and a green canvas sea bag packed with about 40 pounds of clothes. I had a sleeping bag, and a quilt my mother had made me, a typewriter, a clock radio, and a box of red rose tea. Welcome aboard! Captain Donald shook my hand and grunted as I climbed aboard the boat. In his mid-sixties, he looked like a caricature of a Maine lobsterman. A uh, salt and pepper beard with no mustache, and hands of a giant. Arms the size of legs, legs the size of trees. Soon we were underway. When we reached the other side of the breakwater, he opened up the dotted eye, and she was super fast for a work boat. I used to race her over to the boat races in Can! There was a big grin on Captain Donald's face and a charming glint in his eyes as he spoke to me. He used to win races, too. Not anymore, Mary Margaret shouted over the engine. The price of fuel oil is too high. We'd been cruising for ten minutes, and Captain Donald pointed to the distant horizon and said, Do you see the island? Steer right towards it. I'm gonna take a little snooze. Then Captain Donald laid on the engine box and closed his eyes. I didn't see the island, but took the wheel anyway, noted the compass course and kept her steady. That was an easy task for a salty old helmsman like me. After all, I'd spent countless hours behind the big wheel of my coast guard cutter, left full rudder, aye aye captain, as we patrolled from the Bay of Fundy to the Gulf of Mexico. Meanwhile, Mary Margaret, I don't feel very well, leaned against the wall in the corner of the cabin, looking even grayer than in the van. Her pallor told me she was seasick. I hope I don't vomit. I'd seen a lot of nausea while on the coast guard. I hope I don't throw up." Many of my shipmates fell victim to motion sickness. Luckily, I wasn't bothered by the giant rolling swells and troughs of Caribbean hurricanes. or the choppy seas of North Atlantic gales didn't bother me due to an inner ear imbalance. On land, I was clumsy and crashed into doorways and tripped over carpet. On the open ocean, however, I danced with waves. Life was looking up, a paying job, a place to live, a new world to explore. I had no idea where I was going, but driving the dotted eye was such a pleasure, I didn't care. We cruised through the quintessential Maine seascape of lighthouses and lobster buoys, gulls and kelp-covered ledges. About an hour and a quarter after we left Rockland, we arrived at the steamboat wharf on Matinicus. Welcome to Matinicus. Some say it's the Abenaki word for Far out Island. Others say Matinicus means grassy island. But we just call it home. Yeah, <laughs> home. The tide was almost high, which made it easy to unload. We put the groceries and all my earthly possessions in the back of Captain Donald's beat up and rusted Chevy. As she climbed into the passenger side of the truck, Mary Margaret reminded Donald, We're having lobsters, potato salad, and lemon cookies for dinner. Be sure to get lobsters. "I, uh, I heard you." <clears throat> damn woman. Captain Donald grunted as the dotted eye backed away from the wharf, came about, and then headed the 500 feet to his mooring near the breakwater. He handed me a gaff hook and pointed to the bow. Time for you to show me how a coastie would make that bridle fast to that cleat. Come on, boy, get up there on the bow and hook her. I did as told. I hooked and hauled the fluorescent orange and white buoy, his colors, and pulled the attached rope aboard and quickly put a round turn and three figure eights on the bow cleat, and my new skipper killed the engine. Also tied to the buoy was a 12-foot aluminum skiff, which I untied and pulled the stern. Then we jumped into the skiff, and Captain Donald started the 10-horse outboard. We zipped over to a good-sized barge, lined with stacks of lobster traps and a couple of huge bait boxes. Get up on that scow and grab that crate, and be quick about it. He pointed to a rope attached to a wooden box painted orange and white, just like his buoys, floating in the harbor. Hauling up on the deck. I pulled the heavy box onto the scow, and water spilled out through the spaces between the box's wooden slats. Captain Donald handed me a plastic bag. All right, pick out your supper, and let's be quick about it. I knelt on the scow and opened the crate. It was filled to the brim with delicious crustaceans, Get one for me and one for her and as many as you can eat. Unlimited lobster. That was a job perk I hadn't considered. So I picked out two big ones, one for Captain Donald and one for Mary Margaret, and then three huge lobsters for me. Donald didn't bat an eye. I tied the crate shut and pushed it overboard. Unlimited lobster, all you could eat Such good news for a hungry young man like me. Mary Margaret was pouring us each a glass of red beverage. I was happy to have the trio of good-sized lobsters on my plate in front of me. There's no butter because Donald's diet doesn't allow for it. Captain Donald couldn't have butter. That meant no one had butter. This is sugar-free Kool-Aid because of Donald's diabetes. Cherry is his favorite. I watched Captain Donald wince as he took a sip of the awful stuff. Don't that taste something awful. I learned from his daughter that Donald used to be a major league booze hound who smoked two packs of Winstons a day. After a health scare, the doctor said no more booze except for a single monthly ration of scotch to keep him from going absolutely crazy. (coughs) And no more cigarettes. That was a big deal for a guy who'd been smoking since he dropped out of school at age 10. Mary Margaret stood at the sink, rinsing dishes. Running the water pump doesn't come cheap because our electricity is the most expensive in all of Maine. We didn't have power out here when I was growing up. Didn't need it neither. (laughs) Donald said with a snort. Weren't until 1976 until we got power lines strung up. Before that, all we had Well, I, for one, am glad we have electricity. Mary Margaret interrupted. I just wish it wasn't so darn expensive. Showers cost lots of money out here. Donald cackled, (laughs) then shook his head as he cracked a lobster claw. And the price of fuel oil is only going up, so the price of electricity is going up too. Because we're running a big diesel power plant to make electricity non-stop. And the price of fuel oil ain't never going down. Running the water pump doesn't come cheap, Mary Margaret interrupted Captain Donald. That's why you can only take a short shower. Set the timer that's on the back of the toilet. No longer than four minutes. We don't take long showers around here. <laughs> After supper, eager to wash off the grime and salt from the road trip and boat trip, I took a shower and dutifully set the timer. I didn't need all four minutes though. The water smelled and tasted unpleasantly of kerosene, so I quickly washed and rinsed and then dried with a towel that also reeked of kerosene. The towel was clean but felt greasy and oily. My hands also stunk of fuel oil, even after I tried washing them with soap using the bathroom sink. (sighs) Captain Donald had explained to me that the next day, after hauling traps, he would bring me to my new home on the shore. But that first night, I stayed in the guest room of their nondescript house in the middle of the island. And even though the bedsheets and pillowcases smelled like fuel, I quickly fell asleep. 4.30 a.m. came quick, and I was awake and ready instantly thanks to my rigorous Coast Guard training and all the pre-dawn drug boardings and search and rescue missions. Captain Donald and I drank a cup of tea and ate toast with margarine. Here's your breakfast. Hurry up though, we gotta get out to haul. Then headed to the shore in his beat up Chevy. It was still dark as we climbed down a ladder attached to the steamboat wharf and into his skiff. Captain Donald stood in the stern and motored us to the mooring. Other men were also en route to their boats and a couple were already steaming out of the harbor into the dawn. Captain Donald didn't wave or acknowledge any of them, and they ignored him back. Aboard the dotted eye, we pulled on our oil clothes, boots, and gloves. Donald started the boat, and then he showed me the way he wanted the bait bags filled. Six fish per bag, more or less, depending on the size of the herring. He showed me how to attach the wash down hose to the lobster holding tank. And be sure to connect this hose to that tank. And how to use the banding pliers. And then you just slip the rubber band right over the edge of the claw, and then... And then he told me to release the mooring. Okay, release the mooring and let's get to work. And we were underway. Standing on the bow, I inhaled deeply and tasted the mix of sea air rotten bait and diesel. As Donald headed past the breakwater and bell buoy, I absorbed the amazing early pink light reflecting from the sky and the sea. I was glowing, joyful, in the zone of happiness, reveling in the scene and the scenery. I felt so lucky, happy to be alive, to be working on a boat, to be living in Maine. What are you doing? Donald shouted over the din of the engine and gestured for me to join him in the cuddy. You better fill as many bait bags as you can, because we'll be on the first string in five minutes. (laughs) All morning, I filled bait bags and emptied traps of various fish and underwater fauna while measuring and banding lobsters. Short lobsters were tossed overboard. The legal ones were kept in the tank. If the measurement's close, let me take a look at it. I don't want you throwing any keepers away. My forearms were greasy with fish guts and my hips were black and blue from slinging traps port to starboard. But it was simple work. I knew I could handle being a stern man, not a hard gig, especially for a fellow who could roll with the rhythm of the sea. Easier than being a deckhand on a coast guard cutter, that's for sure. By noon, we were done hauling for the day and tied up at the bait scow. Captain Donald decided to go easy on me as the new guy and only haul the hundred traps. Usually, we haul about 250, but being your first day, I didn't want to break you. <laughs> From a huge bin on the scow, I shoveled heavily salted herring and refilled the bait box. Then I washed and scrubbed down the boat while Captain Donald dealt with the lobsters, placing them gently into wooden crates. After baiting fuel, I guess you made about 50 bucks, Captain Donald said, as we slid a couple of crates filled with lobsters into the drink. Donald tied the crates off to a cleat on the scow. What do you think? Can you do the job? Yes, sir, I said. All right, then. Donald looked at his watch. Time to go home and have a lousy sandwich. (coughs) He coughed and then spit into the harbor. Then we'll move you to your new room. And he coughed and spit again. (coughs) I'll tell you, I'm getting sick of friggin' turkey bologna. Up at the house in the center of the kitchen table was a pitcher of the red Kool-Aid beverage, three glasses, and a bowl of potato salad. Mary Margaret was busy at the counter. I couldn't stomach the Kool-Aid again, so I grabbed a cup and headed for the sink. Be sure to take it from the filtered spigot, the one on the right, she said as she placed sandwiches on plates. Years ago we had a kerosene spill and it tainted the aquifer. Been ten years and the well hasn't been the same since. Twenty years, Donald grumbled, pouring himself a glass of Kool-Aid. Really? Seems like yesterday, 500 gallons of kerosene from the... By Jesus! Mary Margaret, you're as numb as a hake. How could it be 500 gallons? Our tank only holds 250. Besides, there ain't nothing wrong with the water no more. If you say so, dear. How's your sandwich? Fine, thank you. I was famished. You only worked half a day. <sighs> Can't be too hungry. Thank you for listening, and remember, the Crash program is commercial-free thanks to listener support via Patreon, where five bucks a month gets all sorts of perks, including a Mary Margaret sticker, and I'm sure you'd want that, and access to the Patreon-only audio collection from my time in the U.S. Coast Guard fighting the war on drugs and the war on Haitian refugees. And remember, be careful on Tough Island. He's big and strong. He's sad and mad